Have you ever seen a label for Ethical Clothing Australia attached to a garment and wondered, what does that mean? Hi, I'm Harriet Richards, and this is the Critical Fashion Studies Podcast. This week's episode is about Ethical Clothing Australia, or ECA. It's an organisation dedicated to addressing labour exploitation in the fashion industry. It also helps consumers make informed decisions about buying ethically made clothes. The organisation was founded in response to concerns about labour exploitation in the Australian textile, clothing and footwear industry in the 1990s. Today, I'm joined by my colleague and Critical Fashion Studies collaborator, Natalia Lusty. Hi, Natalia. Hello, Harriet. It's great to be here. Today, we are very pleased to be joined by Amanda Bresnan, the newly appointed National Manager at Ethical Clothing Australia. Thank you so much for joining us, Amanda, and congratulations on your new role at ECA. Thank you. Now, we just wanted to begin by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself and the path that brought you to ECA. Yes, so the whole issue around ethical fashion and how we're purchasing clothing and what's going into that and being aware of that as a consumer, it's something I've always been interested in and I saw this job come up. And the thing I've said to people when they've asked me this question is it, it is essentially a human rights issue that we're dealing with here around workers' rights and about when you purchase a product, what is actually going into that and particularly the person that's making that product for you. I'm really excited to be taking on the role. I think it's got a lot of potential and I'm hoping to grow ECA and expand into other areas and excited about the opportunity. We often feel that a garment made in Australia is made ethically, but this is not necessarily the case. So Ethical Clothing Australia is targeting Australian consumers as well as supporting workers in the Australian fashion industry. Let's start with the consumers. Why should Australian shoppers be looking out for the ECA label? What does it tell them? The thing that the ECA label will tell people, so when they see a product or they look at something online through our ethical shopping guide, is that they know that what has gone into that product has been checked from the whole supply chain. It's not just the final product that they're looking at. It's the whole supply chain. It's the contractors. It's everything that's gone into making that product. So when someone sees that label, they can be absolutely certain that the person who's made that product for them has been paid properly, has proper working conditions, and that their entitlements have been met. The label gives us a lot of information, but why is it important to give that information to consumers? What impact do you hope that the ECA can have on the way that Australians buy clothes? So I think for people to have that certainty that when they purchase a product, they know that the person that has made that product has been treated properly, has fair conditions, they're not working sweatshop conditions, they've got proper safety at their work, that they're being paid properly. And that's not just happening for the person that might be making the end products across the board. And I think that's such an important thing because we know sweatshops still exist in Australia. I mean, people, I think, think, oh, that's something that happens overseas. And I think to have a process that's very transparent, Mm. um, that people know that whole supply chain is being checked through and that by just having that label on there, We know as consumers that's what's happened. I think that's really important. As you indicated, there's been a long history of labour exploitation in the fashion industry and a lot of stories in the media more recently about the prevalence of modern slavery. And it's something that a lot of people don't often associate with Australia and with garments made in Australia. So the work you're doing is highlighting that. 
So can you tell us a little bit more about how ECA supports garment workers? Yeah, so obviously we're accrediting and having compliance processes across the supply chain so that workers are being supported through that process around their entitlements and conditions that they're working in. So through that collaboration with the unions and having that compliance which goes into workplaces, that provides significant support for workers as well so that if something is actually happening in their workplace, they have an avenue where they can bring that up and take that forward because I think there's a lot of fear for people that they think they might lose their job if they say something. So having an avenue where they can do that in a confidential way and have someone able to go into the workplace and check that or be able to raise an issue with a union representative to go through that process if they are working in a workplace setting. And obviously we're talking about outworkers as well who are even more isolated. And also I think one of the key things with the compliance staff as well that work with the union, most of them, if not all of them, have had experience working in the garment industry or textile industry. They've been out workers themselves because we know a number of people speak a language other than English, um, particularly have Vietnamese and Mandarin speaking workers. There's people who speak that language as well. So it provides, I think it's a, it's a safe avenue for people to go through where not, they normally wouldn't be somewhere where they could raise that. That's a really great point. And actually, earlier in this series, we spoke to Emma Doe and Kim Lamb, who were the authors and the collaborative team really behind the Working From Home publication, which charts the history of Vietnamese homeworkers or outworkers in the Australian fashion industry since the 1970s. And it's interesting to me that the No Sweatshop label that emerged from union action in the 1990s, and especially the Homeworkers Code of Practice that was launched in 1996, really led to the establishment of what is now uh, Ethical Clothing Australia. So, I mean, you've touched on the idea of outworkers here, but I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about the role of homeworkers or outworkers in the Australian fashion industry and also how ECA supports those workers. You know, I think we have to look at some overseas issues, obviously have impact as well on the manufacturing of goods in Australia and whatever the motivation might be for manufacturers to engage out workers. Often we do know it is about cutting costs. But I think what's really important too is the award and the Fair Work Act and actually recognising out workers being a significant part of the industry and having that specifically mentioned. And I think that has really highlighted I think, the specific role that they play in manufacturing of clothes and garments in Australia and ensuring they have protection because they're not actually in a physical workplace, not just the outworkers but also some of the business owners as well who might be from a non-English speaking background and helping them to understand because I think part of it might be too that people just don't actually understand that there's a legal basis that they have to implement as part of their workplace. So I think you've got manufacturers and union reps there being able to work together and have a collaborative way of going into a workplace or going to someone's home where they might be working and ensuring that those you know the things are entitled to being done and we've also supplied information via website and other materials that are in other languages so that people can be physically given information as well that they can look at and read and you know be able to ask questions about if they need to. Ethical Clothing Australia plays a valuable role in the fashion industry, particularly because even though we have new modern slavery legislation, that really only pertains to businesses at the very high end earning $100 million or more. So it's really misses out on a lot of businesses that 
have profits below that amount. So can you say a little bit more about how ECA fills that gap in terms of those businesses who don't have such a large profit margin? As you said that we do now have modern day slavery legislation in Australia, which is fantastic. But like you said, it, it applies to a very high level. So again, fantastic innovation to have in Australia and to have that now in place. But the businesses that would come across, you know, in, in the industry, we do don't qualify for that at all. So it still means we need to have those bases in place that are supporting workers and ensuring that people aren't working conditions that might amount to modern day slavery basically I mean the sweatshop thing is it's quite unimaginable to happening in Australia now, but it does and we've heard stories of people you know maybe just walking down the road and seeing like a darkened literally seeing a darkened room and going oh, there's a whole lot of people in there and sewing machines working I mean that's a difficult thing to actually uncover and actually investigate but again having the union involved in what they do it does then give it something if they become aware of it, it's something that they can investigate through their own processes I mean, in many ways, to me, the sheer fact of ECA existing kind of alerts us to the fact that it's necessary. Absolutely. And the fact that you've got ECA, the fact that you've got modern day slavery legislation, all these things in place. So you said it means that, yes, it's actually happening Mm -hmm. in this country. And it's, you know, it's happening across a whole range of industries, but particularly in clothing, textile, footwear, manufacturing, where, you know, it is very manual type labour. It's something that happens quite a lot and again you know like um, we talked about the award and sort of to explain what that is too I mean that's actually you know no matter what industry you work in Australia you should have an award and basically what that is saying that there's a basic level of pay you should be paid but also recognise the skill levels which is really important that's often been a challenge to an industry where the skill level of someone who might not be being monitored in terms of what they're being paid are possibly not being paid for the right skill level and I know there's been some efforts I think the last couple of years to get rid of that award (laughs) which I think is really concerning because again for me it's concerning what it might say about the industry if someone's trying to get rid of the award that they're sort of saying we're not going to pay them properly and I think that's really concerning if that ever happened that it was gone again because we're talking about quite vulnerable isolated people and they need to have certainty So the fashion industry is notoriously opaque, especially when it comes to knowing where, how or by whom our clothes are made, let alone those conditions under which those who make our clothes are working. Um, And it's really clear that ECA is challenging this model. I mean, you've already spoken about transparency, but I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about transparency in the ECA accreditation model and why this is so important for monitoring ethical compliance. So, because we know there's a lot of, you know, outsourcing to other contractors. So it also means for the business themselves, I mean, they potentially lose track sometimes of what's happening too. We know that happens with contracting. So it means that they can say, well, here are the people we're contracting to and the compliance team can actually then go and look at what's happening for their workers as well. So it provides that full picture. I think that happens in other industries as well, you know, with contracting. They just go, well, we don't have any responsibility because we've contracted out to somebody and that's not the case. You're responsible for the whole thing that results in the final product, whatever it might be. And I think, again, that's why this model is so important. Also because we know with the Australian Made label, that often they think they're they're not made in Australia. (laughs) So again, I think it's that certainty 
not only is it about that the workers, we know they're being treated properly, we know that it's made in Australia and that it's done properly. Yeah, excellent. Of course, presenting transparent accounts of labour conditions helps consumers navigate the tricky terrain of corporate greenwashing, which in turn improves conditions for workers. You're new to this role, but you've also been interested in these issues for a long while. So I wonder what more you think can be done to combat a lack of transparency or even the practice of inflated ethical claims in the fashion industry. We actually had a panel at Melbourne Fashion Festival and this question came up and it was particularly to couple the two businesses that revolved. And one of the things they said, you know, and this might be take some time to get there, but it shouldn't actually be something which is just a voluntary thing to do that down the track it would be wonderful to see something like this potentially legislated. I mean, obviously we have the Fair Work Act and we have the award, so they're legislative practices, but whether that's something we would see enshrined in terms of regulation or legislation, that's, I mean, obviously a big piece of work and, you know, <laughs> that would significantly expand the scope of ECA if that was the case. Mm. But that would be wonderful to see that there's a bit more of a stronger basis to it. But one of the other processes I think, which is really interesting, I think can have a great influence. And this is not just about the consumer purchasing a fashion product, but for ECA too, we don't just have labels. We've got uniform manufacturing, defence apparel, PPE, whole range of stuff. So I think one of the things that's been quite seeing it's happened in Victoria, but Queensland government moving that way about procurement and about the types of products that government are procuring, but also businesses, again, that they're ethically made. Um, and so that's something that's happened in Victoria and had, did increase work for ECA. Um, and Queensland government have done it and it looks like they may expand into uniforms and those sorts of products. So that, I think, government can also be a real driver of increasing the scope of what products included in ethical production. And, you know, again, I think, you know, think about the motivation of businesses. It's really wonderful when businesses want to do this off their own bat and say, we want to be accredited and make sure workers are paid properly. But even if it is a motivation which has been driven by more of a stick approach from mm -hmm. government, that's okay because it just actually means it expands who's actually a part of it. And again, that businesses understand this is something they have to do. I think that whatever the motivation and drive is, it's good if it actually goes to an outcome which is about workers being paid properly and treated properly. Yeah. And it also, your comment there and talking about uniforms, it reminds us that we all have a duty to purchase clothing that is ethically made. So often ethical clothing is something associated with fashion and fashion is trivial and feminine, but actually everyone wears clothes and all clothes are made by hands. So that's a really good point to think about how uniforms are one area that we can also start to think about how clothing is ethically made. It's something we do every day. We get up and we put on clothes. Everyone does that. And about, like you said, it's made by someone. It's made by a person. And if we can have more of an understanding about what goes into that and start to actually have more of a conversation about well, what's happening to the people that make that? I think it's ultimately the type of society we want to live in and that all people, no matter what sort of work they do, are treated properly. 
You also supply a list of audited manufacturers on your website to help uh, businesses. And I can imagine that this would be particularly useful for small businesses starting up. And we know there are a lot of, you know, small fashion houses, startups in Melbourne, particularly that attracts lots of, you know, designers new to the industry. So can you say a little bit more about how you've developed that list of audited manufacturers? Again, I think it's the, the point you made in your questions about it, it developed because People were contacting ECA, you know, as you said, starting out the business and wanting to be accredited, but to also go, you know, where can I go to actually purchase products that are made ethically? I said it's that kind of two-way sort of relationship about, you know, if you're involved in a fashion label, you still want to know, well, where can I go and buy you know, fabrics or whatever it might be? And again, sort of going to when we did the panel at Melbourne Fashion Festival, there was someone in the audience who was a new designer just starting and they were doing manufacturing offshore but they desperately said I desperately want to do it here how can I go about this and then someone said well there is a list on the website where you can actually go and see where there's actually production that's ethically made we've got information on there about how you can go about it so I think and they said you know it's quite overwhelming and I know from speaking to some like students in this area too, there's a real awareness there as well. So if we can actually start to provide better information for them so it isn't so overwhelming and they know where to go and as, in terms of business principles as well, that there's information and support there f- for them to do that. So there's what we do, but I think there's probably obviously a lot, a lot of other support where we can work together as a sector to ensure that supports it. And then I think it becomes less of an unusual thing and hopefully also then it actually it makes it easier makes it less costly and all those sorts of things so that more people can do it. I think that's really important as well. There's a skills shortage in fashion manufacturing. And I guess one of the fantastic things about the work that Ethical Clothing Australia does is that it ensures a really robust industry. So hopefully, you know, new people will be attracted into that industry and and help support it into the future. Is that the sense you're getting? Yeah, absolutely. I think what I've been hearing too from the manufacturers who are on you know, our committee, but also hearing other people speak about those exactly what you said and that COVID-19 has just really highlighted that we've lost a lot of those skills in Australia and that they're starting to be built up more because manufacturers and labels are showing an interest and they're wanting to purchase from people who are making things here who are not just doing things probably in terms of workers, but again, they're doing things probably in terms of environmental factors as well. So I hope it's becoming an increasing driver that we can start building up the industry here in Australia and actually providing support for those skills to develop. And that's kind of what we've been saying to government as well. We've been applying for <laughs> funding for not just the Victorian government. So this is actually about supporting and building an Australian industry. And how fantastic would that be if those things can actually happen here and they don't have to go offshore, that there's more work for people, the industry grows. It's a good thing for everyone, basically, for workers and the economy. So I absolutely think it's a really key thing and it's just been highlighted by the circumstance we've been in where we know we've had quite a number of businesses contact us saying we can't get workers. And so hopefully that's a bit of a signal and a driver to say we have to support the industry here and make sure that it's sustainable. Yeah, I mean, that was what was automatically coming to my mind was the effect of the pandemic. And of course, it's been a hugely, you know, tumultuous and a time of upheaval, but there have been some interesting silver linings to have come out of it. And I think the impact on the Australian fashion industry has been really interesting in terms of 
so many local designers struggling with supply chains and so thinking, actually, what are we doing? We want to return our production onshore. And so there's been this increased demand for the services that we need. And I think, you know, even in education, there's been a trend towards educating designers rather than educating all those other stages of the sector. Do you see that changing? Absolutely. And that's, again, you know, when we did the panel at Melbourne Fashion Festival, a couple of the labels who were there closing the gaps was one of them. And you know, that's the thing they said is that we're a small label, but we want to see that investment because we want to buy the fabrics that have been not just made it, but they died here, all those sorts of things. And you're exactly right. If we can provide support for that whole part of it and building skills because it is a real artisan skill when you think about some of those things that people do whether it's about making the, the fabrics or having the skills I mean my dad was a an upholsterer so you know you know that's a bit of a dying art as well but you know those sorts of skills are really important if we want to have products that are you know made here in Australia and if people can't get the products that are made here to go into making the label that's a real problem it's an industry which should be supported. And when I mean, we know to one of the, the people who's on our committee who's in a business that is, you know, supplying, you know, working products, but a whole range of things that go into manufacturing textiles. And he said he's never been busier because people are now going, oh, we have to make these things and buy these products here in Australia now, which is great. But then it means, okay, we've got to support other people to be able to be a part of that. So on that point, I mean, you've been newly appointed to this role, you're just in your first months, but we would love to hear about some of those goals and plans you have for the future of ECA um, and what you hope to achieve as the new national manager. Yeah, well, one of my <laughs> first tasks, it's not particularly exciting, but is funding because currently we only receive funding from the Victorian government. Uh, we've got a proposal in with the Queensland government at present and the last couple of years they've put in budget submissions to the federal government. Unfortunately, haven't had any funding as yet from that, but Labor have actually committed to fund ECA. So that's really key because, again, if we don't have sustainable funding, it means the organisation can't continue. But, I mean, I'd love to see it grow. And I know because it has, like you said, it has such potential. But to be able to reach other manufacturers and labels and to provide additional support, we need to have more funding resources to do that. I'd really like to know our consumers better and about why they're purchasing the products, what's driving them to do that and doing some work around that. and. One of the key things we've also talked about, and it goes to expanding it, but actually being able to demonstrate and communicate our worth. It is a really fantastic model. It has a very good return on investment. And again, I think it goes to the fact that it is that really unique model of having manufacturers and unions and working collaboratively. Yes, it's often the way, isn't it, that the fashion and clothing industry and manufacturing around the fashion industry has often been left out of innovation grants and other grants that go to other more male uh, industries such as beer and wine and beef. But it seems like there is something slowly changing on this front. So fingers crossed that your funding comes through. Yeah, and I think the thing that you just said, the fact that there is a gender basis <laughs> in this issue as well, and it... I think, unfortunately, has had an impact, you know, and that's, again, it's across the whole industry from the workers to the people who are actually starting to become designers as well, like you said, and being left out because they're just kind of, oh, it's the clothing industry. But what, like, a huge contribution it could make to mm -hmm. this country and the economy if it was supported properly. 
has got such potential. And like I said, just the last couple of years of COVID has demonstrated exactly why it needs to be supported and what a huge contribution it could make to the economy. Thank you so much, Amanda, for talking about your work with Ethical Clothing Australia. Thank you to our listeners for joining us today. If you are interested in supporting Ethical Clothing Australia accredited businesses, then please check out the digital shopping map on the ECA website. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Critical Fashion Studies podcast. We would love for you to join us for the fourth and final episode, when Natalia will be joined by graduate student Brett Craig to speak with fashion curator Paolo de Trocchio about her work with the fashion collection at the National Gallery of Victoria. We really encourage you to subscribe to the series in your podcast app so you never miss an episode. See you then.